welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and today, uh, hopefully, we're going to be a little bit of the voice of bowhunting ethics, the conservation-mindedness uh, that uh, hopefully drives us as bowhunters. I've got, as my guest on today's show, Mr. Keith Balford. Keith, you're the marketing director at the Boone and Crockett Club. I guess that makes you a pretty big wheel in the hunting world. Uh, so I'm lucky to have you as my guest today. Welcome to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio. Well, thank you, Christian. I don't know about big wheel. Um, all that means is I'm, I'm buried. <laughs> uh, you, work, you work for a nonprofit conservation organization, wear, wear a lot of hats. So director of marketing is is uh just a title yeah but but I'm, I'm happy to be here you get to do some cool stuff i know that uh right before we started the show here you said you were up in the yukon on a, a doll sheep hunt and you you got your sheep and you spent a couple weeks up there and and did a lot of cool stuff so congratulations on that success and i think that we can probably use some of your experience up there uh as part of our discussion today as we get into things um but, uh, you know, Boone and Crockett is certainly a very well-known uh, brand, if you will. Realize, of course, you're a conservation group, but probably best known amongst the average hunter as a, as a record-keeping organization, you know, because that's probably the most common way that your name is used, right? If somebody kills a really big animal, they say that's a Boone and Crockett animal. Why don't you take the opportunity to talk a little bit about, you know, the background of the organization as a conservation group and then maybe how the records program sort of ties into all that, Keith. Sure. That, that, that is a great place to start. And you're right. Uh, Boone and Crockett's for the records program, the record book that is and, and has been the public face of the club for 130 years. Um, but that's a, that's an offshoot of the reason why the club came together and the majority of work that we do. But it is tied to the records program is tied to conservation. So the short story uh, or, you know, long story short, uh, the club was founded in 1887 by Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, this was before he was president. Uh, he was a, you know, an outdoorsman, a sportsman, an adventurer, an explorer. Um, he spent some time out west, um, you know, trying his hand at ranching. Um, did a fair amount of, of big game hunting. Uh, and one of the quotes that's always stuck with me is he he said he was on actually on a bison hunt. He wanted to hunt a bison before they were all gone. And he said we were never in sight of a live animal or out of sight of bleached bones. And uh, he came back from that uh, trip to South Dakota rallied a bunch of his friends together in New York City and formed the Boone and Crockett Club with a mission to address the challenges of the diminishing big game in North America on a national scale. Um, we had come through the era of extermination where 
there was no regulated recreational sport hunting. Commercial market hunting was a was an industry when jobs were hard to find. Um, you know, conquering the wilderness, taming the, the habitat, draining wetlands, clearing forests, tilling prairies. I mean, this is what we did. This was manifest destiny, and and the, and the price we ended up paying for all that was our wildlife was vanishing and not just big game but birds waterfowl turkeys beaver you know you name it we 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 overused and so here's the nucleus of boone and crockett club and they took off to essentially establish what we now know as conservation conservation wasn't a word in the english language back then um and so literally almost everything that we have today in the area of conservation was either established, uh, promoted, advanced by Boone and Crockett and its members. And so this goes all the way back to things like national forest, national parks, national wildlife refuges. Um, the science of wildlife management, funding that science, creating careers in wildlife biology and wildlife management. Well, sure, even simple um, things like having established seasons and bag limits for game species. Yep, yep, that was that was in there too. The club helped establish the very first game laws, uh, regulated hunting seasons, reasonable bag limits, um, you know, enforcement of those laws. Um, and then the funding mechanisms for conservation, conservation at a price, somebody had to foot the bill. Uh, you know, Roosevelt's view, uh, and this is an interesting point because we're dealing a lot of, a lot of, uh, with a lot of this now is, you know, once people had awoken to the plight of wildlife, which was part of Roosevelt's plan, he had to make the case for a lot of this legislation that got passed. Um, you know, outside of sportsmen, the rest of the, the public was, was unaware of the rape and pillage that had gone on. And so once the public was aware, um, there was two, two models being proposed. One was conservation, the other was preservation. Let's, let's just stop using, let's take man out of the equation, let's eliminate hunting, let's eliminate trapping, let's eliminate, you know, use of natural resources in general and Roosevelt went, nah, that, that's not going to fly here because we rely on natural resources uh, and when it came to wildlife and and hunting Roosevelt nominated sportsmen as the foundation of conservation he wanted people to continue to hunt he saw that public access to wildlife was important because these people would become ambassadors they would stand guard over wildlife they would become wildlife's best sustaining advocates and so how did the uh, how did the records program then kind of dovetail with all that well that's that's a great question the records program was actually started in 1906 and it was a way to record the vanishing big game of North America. I mean, that was a reality. We had lost, you know, several species to extinction, uh, Audubon sheep, Merriman's elk, um, and many others were perched on the bridge of extinction. And I, I 
say this to people many times, if the Endangered Species Act that we have today was in place in 1900, literally every species that we hunt freely today would be listed as endangered and threatened. That's, that's how bad it had gotten. You know, the story of the plight of the bison is well known. What was happening to the bison was happening to antelope, mule deer, whitetail, turkeys, sheep, elk, everything. So, oh, absolutely. The origins of the rec- yeah, the origins of the records program was to document uh, where these game species lived, um, have some type of data set that showed these things existed, this is where they live, this is their range, uh, and here's, here's some numbers, and they used sportsmen to help provide this data. Um, and then the records program was also started to support this conservation movement that was happening that Roosevelt and the club was promoting by insisting that people hunt ethically under fair chase and abide by these newly formed game laws and hunting regulations uh, to aid in wildlife recovery. Uh, you know, you can imagine back in the 1800s, you know, there, there, it was it was a free-for-all. Uh, there, there was, you know, shoot as many deer as you want, shoot as many ducks. Oh, sure. Uh, so that was... So being a little more selective, and then the, the notion of trophy started to emerge about that time. Um, you know, early conservation efforts were pointed at if you're going to remove an animal from a population, remove a mature male. He's already done his breeding. He might be post-breeding age. Uh, he may be the ones with the largest antlers and horns because he's aged that long. Uh, he's not going to be missed. And so the records program started to encourage this selective harvest. Um, so that was the, the beginnings of the records program. And then in time, that data set started to chart the recovery of wildlife, our conservation initiatives and habitat work, laws, regulations, hunting seasons, wildlife started to recover. There started to become more game. Um, and so the records program record entries reflected that. If you looked at mule deer entries in the 1900s, you know, there was a few. By 1920, there were some more. And, you know, all of these species, you can chart them out on a growth curve. Sure. Then the records program eventually evolved into a tool for wildlife managers, people that are in charge of managing our wildlife. They would use this data to point to trends either going up or down, use it to guide policy. You know, here's here's a particular area that record records show at one time uh, was a top producer of, you know, mature uh, bucks or bulls or what have you, and now all of a sudden it's not. So that's a red flag. What did we do? Is it a environmental condition? Was it tough winters? Are we releasing too many tags? Do we have too many doe tags? Uh, do we need to cut back down something? Um, so we today cooperate a lot with state wildlife agencies in sharing our data set. And then all along, um, you know, this was a proof point 
of you know recognizing fair chase hunters that were participating in, in this system of conservation because as most people know you know we have some fair chase guidelines if your trophy is going to be entered and accepted into the club you have to have you know had a hunting license hunted during the hunting season and, and abided by the rules of fair chase you didn't shoot them from a truck you didn't shoot them from a helicopter you know that kind of thing yeah absolutely and I mean these are things that you know we take for granted today and especially you know I see it with my own children I've got two sons you know and sometimes well, my youngest one's only 11 and so you know I mean maturity is uh, more ahead of them but then behind them and sometimes you know they'll think they'll say, you know when's hunting season they'll ask me or why can't we go out and you know just shoot a deer now you know deer are very plentiful here of course here in Pennsylvania where I am now and I actually then have to walk them through the logic you know of say well you know if if we could just go out and shoot a deer anytime we wanted to and anybody else could do the same thing you know how many deer do you think there would be you know and of course they think about it for a minute and they realize there wouldn't be very many or yeah or what i say is maybe there wouldn't be any and of course then i have to remind them that there was a time when there really were no deer left uh in in pennsylvania or virtually no deer and throughout much of the east and of course we restocked white-tailed deer and we brought back um you know wild turkeys and black bears have been a great success and of course we've brought elk back to a lot of states in the east but then you think about the things like you said that have gone extinct that we'll never have you know i mean the eastern elk is a thing of the past there are many places here in pennsylvania that are named you know after uh things to do with buffalo and bison you know in the woods bison is something that will never be back you know and i think how cool would it have been if we hadn't spoiled all that could you imagine if we still had wood bison in pennsylvania it'd be like you know did you get your tag for buffalo season like how awesome would that have been if we had been you know a, a little more uh you know if we had woken up a little bit sooner than we did thank thank god that we woke up when we did you know and, and the boone and crockett club and and other you know organizations got that ball rolling but uh, uh, you know when you grow up in a world that has all those regulations and you you have this conservation ethic it's easy to forget that it wasn't always that way well that's 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 one of the reasons behind this you know hunt right hunt fair chase initiative is is to revisit uh, where we came from and and you know where ethics and hunting came from and how they are very much part of a conservation ethic that at the time were initiated to recover wildlife populations to be in step with conservation efforts instead of working against them and you know a you know an ethical approach um, you know, a lot of people talk about, well, hunting's a sport. Is hunting a sport or is it not a sport? Um, it's interesting to know that the term sportsman and sport hunting uh, was very much tied to a hunting ethic. Um, I mentioned that, you know, commercial market hunting was, was an industry. Um, you know, you can go out and shoot deer and elk and bison and whatever and sell the meat and the hides at, at, at a local market. Um, 
And when Roosevelt hatched this idea for conservation and wanted to use sportsmen, hunters, as the foundation of this system, um, one of the things that had to go was this commercial market hunting industry. I mean, that'd be like saying, okay, we're not going to mine coal anymore. I mean, it was unpopular because uh, that was jobs. These were frontier jobs when jobs were hard to find. The punchline is um, Roosevelt needed something that would separate hunters from commercial market hunters. Sportsmen were being wrongfully associated with commercial market hunting that had no code of ethics. Uh, you know, how many you could kill and how easy and efficiently you can kill it, that was the, 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 the method of operation for commercial market hunters. This was for profit. Sure. Exactly. I mean, it would, it would it'd be the difference, you know, like for you guys, you know, you're out in Montana and, you know, the bison would have been the big thing in that part of the world. Back here in the east, you know, the, a lot of the market hunting was the waterfowling, like on the Chesapeake Bay. And yep. so those oh, yeah. those guys would put those punt guns on the front of their little boats, which would basically be like, you know, mini artillery cannons, because the whole goal, as you said, is how many geese and ducks can you shoot? How quickly? can you shoot them you know and how many can you pile up and bring in to the dock so that you can sell them and they'll be shipped to the restaurants in the cities um so yeah yeah. so that was so this this term sportsman um emerged at that time to create this separation from the commercial market slaughter and hunters that hunted for personal reasons not profit and the term sport hunting actually meant not that hunting was a sport, but it brought a sporting approach. So there was a sporting approach to uh, how we hunted. And that was very much part of Roosevelt's genius. Um, you know, he's the one that got up and said, hey, the best way to save wildlife is to continue to hunt them. Completely counterintuitive. I mean, that was the sales pitch of the century to get people to buy into that. But he was right. But how we hunted them, you know, with restraint, with concern for tomorrow. Um, well, and it's, you know, and it's an awesome thing. Attention. Yeah. Yeah, because, you, you know, even today, and this will tie right into the Hunt Fair Chase Initiative, right? Because uh, I told you, I just recently had taken my wife on an anniversary trip. And so we, we spent a, a good amount of time with some other couples. And a hunting came up briefly one day with a non-hunter, a woman who doesn't hunt and doesn't have any interest in hunting. But, you know, I had an opportunity to explain a little bit of that to her, is that, you know, yes, as a hunter, um, you know, we kill some individuals. But look at the story of all the species that we hunt. There's not a single, you know, big game animal in North America that's, you know, threatened or endangered, and that's largely due to the efforts uh, that we've been talking about. So, um, you know, and that ought to be a source of pride. Uh, And that's one thing, you know, you kind of touched on it uh, before we started the show today, and maybe you can revisit this idea is, you know, in today's day and age, uh, I guess we live in a world of instant gratification. And you talked about the fact that we are focused on, you know, the kill or the size of the animal. You know, did you get your buck? Did you get your bull? How big was it? What did it score? 
not that there's anything wrong with that in in and of itself, but how much pride do we take in, you know, the overall the experience and, and the way that we conducted ourselves in this heritage that we're a part of? And that's kind of what this Hunt Fair Chase initiative is all about. And I believe you guys launched this this past summer and you're just trying to, you know, bring some of these things back to the forefront, right? It, it, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I grew up at a time when, um, you know, hunting was not so much about the kill. It was about the experience, the adventure, uh, being outdoors, being in nature, seeing wildlife, sharing that with family and friends. And the meat. still all exists. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, healthy food, absolutely. Uh, that still all exists. Um, but at some point along the way here, and I really can't put my finger on a date or a date range, um, you know, we stopped talking about our ethics and our motivations and how we conduct ourselves. That was not uh, in the forefront as it used to be. And, um, you know, today, I mean, all you just turn on your computer and, and look at some of the headlines. You know, hunting is under a microscope. You know, hunters are a, a minority. Um, you know, there's people that, you know, adamantly oppose you know, the use of any wildlife and, and certainly hunting. Uh, social media has welcomed aboard a global audience to this conversation. Uh, you're seeing people weigh in on social media from countries that have no wildlife and have no hunting culture. But, you know, killing game, I mean, you got to be kidding me. This has got to end. So... The punchline is our, our image and the image we project as hunters, as sportsmen, is, is more critical now than it's ever been. And, you know, what better way to project a positive image than to talk about our ethics, what, what guides us, what directs us, um, you know, show examples of that, um, you know, even even in you know dealing with the anti-hunting efforts, they certainly don't want us talking about fair chase and hunting ethics. It undermines their entire marketing strategy, which is, you know, hunters are blood sport thugs that don't care about anything other than killing. So having a, having a conversation within our community, uh, you know, about ethics and the origins of fair chase and how that ties to a conservation ethic. Anti-hunting people don't want to see that happening. They they're not out there saying, "Hey, these are principled men and women that held themselves accountable to a higher code." That that shoots their whole shtick in the head. Um, and then you know, unfortunately, you know, we've got some things going on within hunting that you know, some people don't agree with. Uh, and, you know, we have to understand that, you know, what the choices that we make as hunters individually reflect on hunters and hunting as a whole. That, that's how the public consumes this stuff. Right. So, and there's just, there's, there's a great story here. Uh, there's a lot of pride and ownership in this story. You know, we know history proves this out. The sportsmen were the original conservationists. You know, we just talked about Roosevelt. But there was a hundred Boone and Crockett members behind this, and they were all avid hunters. They were all influential people uh, in the country, senators, congressmen, businessmen, industrialists, educators, artists. 
and and they're the ones that crafted this model of conservation that we have today that has re-gifted us our wildlife and has maintained a public access to it. So all that kind of dovetails into this this effort, which is, um, you know, really is a, it's a website, huntfairchase.com. You can go there and, you know, read this information, engage, share your comments, tell your stories, uh, download a lot of this stuff. So, um, you know, if you do find yourself like you did on your uh, anniversary trip, talking to somebody who's a non-hunter or somebody that's just curious, uh, you have a good story. Uh, you're talking, um, you're putting our best foot forward, so to speak. And that's really the purpose of this effort is to help today's sportsmen become the best brand ambassador for hunting as we can be. Absolutely. So, you know, what does, let's talk about this from a practical level, you know, as an individual hunter you know as as a for myself as a bow hunter uh you know maybe a guy here in pennsylvania who just goes and uh hunts whitetails on a couple of farms here around the house what does hunt fair chase initiative mean to me you know how can i be a part of it uh how is it applicable to you know what i'm doing on a day-to-day basis if i'm you know climbing into my tree stand that's 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 a great question and the best way i can answer that is your entire approach as a hunter is is what encompasses fair chase and and ethics and so that includes your preparation as a bow hunter getting your equipment tuned you know being skilled you know knowing um, you know your maximum effective range so that you are making ethical choices and ethical shots uh, showing respect for the land landowners asking permission you know being a good good steward uh, that doesn't sound like fair chase because uh, fair chase sounds like well it's just what I what I do in the field uh, but it's bigger than that it's it's um, you know, leaving it better than you found it, closing gates, uh, you know, being appreciative for the opportunity to hunt on that land. And then when it actually comes to the approach, you know, what do you get out of it personally? Um, I think most hunters will tell you some of their most memorable experiences in the field is when they came home with nothing. You know, they had a close encounter, they got close to the buck that they were hoping for, things didn't quite go their way they didn't get the shot or they had the shot but it wasn't a great shot they chose not to push a risky shot Mm -hmm. there's some there's something meaningful from that that's one of the things that that non-hunters don't really understand is is you don't kill something every time out there's more to it than this there's the experience there's the preparation there's the discipline then you then you have all of the you, you talk about your sons there's all of the life lessons and life skills that ooze out of out of hunting. Things like self-reliance, self-discipline, self-control, self-esteem, you know, all character traits. And, you know, we're fortunate because like you and me, most of my friends hunt. And these are these are good dudes. Right. You know, they're good family men, they're good husbands, they're good fathers, they're people involved in in their church in their community um, those are the kind of stories that 
kind of hover on the on the fringe of this fair chase ethic. And if you step back and pull back even further, there's ethics in everything we do. There's not a human activity that's not guided by some type of ethical code. Um, because if there wasn't, it, there'd be just chaos and everybody'd be doing their own thing and you know that activity would 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 be frowned upon. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and as you were talking, and again, you know, you, you mentioned the kids. In anything in life, you know, you can take you can take some shortcuts to success. You can certainly you can do that in hunting, right? It's a lot easier. Oh, yeah. I always joke that the hunting, you know, when, when, especially when I'm on hunting trips, you know, we always joke with the outfitters or the guys, and when you had a tough day and maybe you didn't really see any animals, and I always joke, you know, we ought to stay out because the hunting is always better at night. And of course, we we'd never hunt at night, but the truth is, right? I mean, that's when the game is on the move and certainly around here it'd be a lot easier to take the old 222 out at night and and you could go out and 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 find a deer in a field pretty easily and shoot one but it wouldn't bring you any satisfaction knowing that you had done things you know not only unethically but uh, illegally but but you know my kids learn right that hunting you don't just go out and shoot a deer right you you go out and you scout and you put the trail cameras out and you pay attention to where the animals are moving and you go and you find those trails in the woods and you try to think about the wind direction and where's the best place to put your tree stand and then you've got to apply for your licenses and the season comes and you pick the right day and there's all those things that come into it well that's teaching like you said in any area of life there's a certain amount of dedication and discipline and hard work that comes before you reap that reward and so just like you can teach you know some good life lessons through you know football or basketball or whatever you can do that through hunting and you can also connect to the natural world and this heritage that we have and that's all good wholesome positive life building stuff Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, you mentioned some of the, you know, field sports that kids participate in. There's sportsmanship there. There's dedication to the craft. There's learning skills. Uh, There's challenges to be met and overcome. There's problems to be solved. Um, I mean, hunting's oozing with all of that stuff. Um, And there's, you know, there's another thing. There's there's a, a no guarantees nature to hunting. Uh, that we accept as hunters and you know I don't know too many that would like it the other way I mean who I mean the, you know, the old term shooting fish in a barrel well I mean well, how much fun is that uh, right. when you're successful every time I mean you go out and have success it comes easy uh, that's that's going to get old, um, and and that's one of the things I think personally that has sustained hunting through the year. We don't need to hunt to eat. Most people, um, you know, stuff's available at the grocery store. You can put in a garden, you know, but that no guarantees nature and the challenge and overcoming challenges and honing our skills. Um, that's a big part of it and that keeps people interested that keeps you coming back absolutely um, so you know the, so that that, that kind of begs 
that kind of begs the question, though, because we talked about some of the easy things, you know, that we can all agree on as hunters, you know, generally speaking, right? Like, don't go out at night, you know, with your spotlight and your 222. Well, everybody knows that's wrong. Or, um, you know, don't use uh, your ATV to run the deer down, you know, and chase them uh, through the field and, and, and shoot them, you know. But what about some of this stuff? Like you talked about, there's no guarantee. What about uh, high fence hunting? You know, uh, what about, what, you know, there's a price list. It's not a, it's not a, maybe you'll get a shot. It's a price list. You know, what do we do with that sort of thing? And does Boone and Crockett have a position? And, and you know, how do we deal with that sort of stuff? Uh, that, that they, That's also called hunting, but is that really hunting, you know, vis-a-vis what we've been talking about? Well, what, what you're talking about are the tough questions, and, and there, there are certainly those. Um, yeah, I mean, our, our game laws are written. They're well-known. They're written down. They're in a booklet. That's, that's pretty entry level. Uh, but then there are these other nuances, and there's more of them there than we have to, uh, you know, think about and, and deal with and make decisions on. High fence hunting is one of them. Baiting is another. Using dogs is another. Uh, and then you can, you know, slice and dice, you know, and, and get really granular with, well, you know, are tree stands fair chases, ground blinds fair chases, well, it's deer scent. It's our scent lures fair chase, yeah, you know? you know, and, and, and some of that kind of stuff, so... Oh, I love... Um, hey, this is the time to have the discussion, though, you know, because this is what yeah, we're talking no, about. But, no, no seriously, because it, it can get really ridiculous, right? Because... Let, let's it just can. let's just do baiting and let's work from there though because like you said we'll, let's come back to baiting in a minute but go down that rabbit trail that you just okay because no these are these are part this they, is part of the conversation and a lot of these things are what's topical and top of mind for people and some things rub people the wrong way and so the, those conversations are happening as well so so you mean the just, first the first thing that i think folks need to think about is um you know what maybe there's there's also the legal versus ethical uh that's another big one you know just because it's legal does that make it ethical well, it's not illegal to shoot an elk at a thousand yards. Um, there's no laws in the books about that. Uh, and there's some people that are certainly capable of doing that. But there's a pretty heated debate going on right now about this extreme long range shooting. Is that really hunting or is it shooting? And you know, what does that say about us as hunters? Uh, and like you said, the list is long. Um, but you know you kind of have to kind of dive into each one of these individually you talked about baiting um but baiting's a big know, one not, that we see well baiting, in, in, baiting is a big one it's a big one and uh, even in the I'm, I'm gonna give you an example let's make it real here let's make it real because i i indirectly you know was i'm in the crosshairs and what i mean by that is this um you know as the editor of peterson's bowling i might hunt in you know, six or eight or ten different states in a given year. Now, some of those states, well, here in Pennsylvania, okay, and this is my heritage growing up as a Pennsylvania deer hunter, baiting is illegal. If you bait here, it's kind of like considered that you're a shady hunter. But if you go right across the border into New Jersey, 
you can take a five gallon bucket of corn out every day and dump it on the ground. Now, if you go down to Texas, and I've hunted deer in Texas many times, you're going to be, chances are, almost always, in my experience, you're sitting on or near a corn feeder. That's just the way that it's done, and people down there would never think of uh, doing it any other way. And now we get letters from readers who are incensed that we might have an article about something where baiting was involved, and I've killed deer over bait, and yet I continue to do most of my hunting in places where baiting is illegal so you know we've got all these people with different perspectives on the same topic how do we reach a consensus how do we know what's right and what's wrong well i don't know about a consensus but you know what we have this on the website we have this discussion and first off you know i think people need to understand that traditions in hunting are important and and they are geographical just like you said you know there's no baiting allowed in pennsylvania but you go across the border in new jersey and 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 there it is uh does that make a new jersey hunter unethical because it's legal in their state well that's state fish and wildlife the governing body there has determined that and I don't know all of the nuances in New Jersey, but they determined... Well, they've got a lot of deer, and they need as many of them killed as possible. Well, that was what I was... You know, that was one thing that's 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 kind of a, a, a deciding factor here. What hunting methods are legal and illegal in a certain jurisdiction have to do, in large part, with wildlife management. If, if, if they need a higher hunter harvest they'll institute things like baiting using hounds um you know we have a lot of of mountain lions here in montana uh if if you did not have the aid of hounds you wouldn't be shooting many mountain lions in fact there's not many spot and stock mountain lion hunting going on i mean they're just too crafty they're they're too secretive they're very nocturnal you know dogs are essential uh, but then people look at that and go, well, running cats with dogs. I mean, that's 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 terrible. Well, um, if we didn't, uh, these cats would be out of control and put a serious dent in our deer and elk populations. They already are. Um, and same thing with, you know, bears. Bears is something that's, we can't bait bears here in Montana, but you can across the border in Idaho. Well, that fishing game has decided yeah, we got to get a handle on these bear populations. We need to do what we can to improve success rates. So baiting is legal there. Um, so getting all twisted up over what one state has as legal and, and another state does not um, doesn't do us you know any good. You know, battling amongst ourselves over stuff like that. If we can agree that these these are you know, put in place because of, of, you know, wildlife management decisions and hunters are being asked to participate in that, um, you know, that, that should be respected. Uh, where we may have to think about this in a different light is, you know, is the non-hunting public getting that deep into the weeds to understand that this is why baiting's legal here and it's not there? You always have to consider that as well. Um, and, you know, then there's other places, well, like, like Texas, where, I mean, the brush down there is so thick. 
that, you know, if a feeder wasn't involved, you may not see much for deer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how they manage their deer herds. That's how they harvest. Uh, you know, they sell bags of corn at the convenience store. I mean, at gas stations, you know, so. Well, and I think, I think uh, you know, for... <laughs> Nobody is is telling you that you have to do these things just because they're legal either. And that's where in the bow hunting community I see so much. You know, one thing we get caught up on, and to me this isn't a matter of ethics at all, but I guess to some people within our audience it is, is, you know, just look at the whole crossbow versus vertical bow debate, you know. And so much of, of bow hunting is about how much you want to limit yourself. I mean, to me, just generally speaking as a bow hunter, just even choosing to hunt with a bow, and I know you're a bow hunter too, right? You're, you're basically voluntarily handicapping yourself. You know, if you go from, say, a, a firearm to, say, a compound bow, well, you're handicapping yourself. It's a voluntary handicap that you're choosing to participate, you know, in a bow hunt. You know that you're not going to be able to shoot as far, and you're going to have to get closer to that animal, and, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, some people prefer to hunt with a recurve or a longbow. Now, there's no law. I don't think there's a state in the country that has a traditional archery season. Okay, understand what I'm saying. There's, I don't think there's anywhere that has a couple weeks where they say, now these two weeks you can only hunt with a longbow or a recurve. But there are some people who enjoy doing that. And so they say, not only am I going to handicap myself with a compound, I'm going to voluntarily handicap myself even a little bit more and use this more primitive weapon. Well, then now, of course, you've got the crossbow, which has some advantages over, you know, other types of archery equipment. And people get all up in arms about that. And it's like, like you said, you know, is all the fighting that we do amongst ourselves really you know, uh, raising our esteem amongst the non-hunting community, or is it merely distracting us while our opponents gain ground? Well, I don't know how much the, the non-hunting community is, is is looking at this and going, "Well, look, it's hunters are just fighting amongst themselves." And I think I think it's just you know draining our own energies. Um, you know, having those kinds of debates. Certainly, they're, they can be healthy. People can, you know, find some common ground in these things. Um, it's not like, you know, shouldn't have these these conversations. But at the end of the day, I mean, wh- where are you? I mean, you're, you're going to be right back to where you started uh, in, a, in a compound recurve crossbow conversation. So, um that- Speaking of the crossbow, you know, let's throw this in there, too. I didn't plan to go here, but I think it's worth saying since we're talking about it. Uh, of course, Pope and Young is probably more well-known amongst bow hunting circles because that was the group founded and modeled, actually, after the Boone and Crockett uh, Club. Uh, obviously, they focus on bow hunting, but they don't take crossbow trophies. Now, you guys at Boone and Crockett, you accept crossbow trophies, and... Yep. 
I'm wondering, is that something that you've seen a growth area in? And is that something where you guys feel like maybe you can do some outreach to that segment of the archery community and, and bring those crossbow hunters in, you know, to be able to participate with you guys on some things that maybe they can't do with Pope and Young? Well, uh, I guess the first thing on the I would answer that question is getting back to the origins and the purpose of the records program, which was a data set. And so the club chose to accept trophies to build this data set based on all legal hunting methods. So muzzleloader, handgun, shotgun, rifle, compound bow, recurve bow, long bow, crossbow. If it's legal in your state and, and you shot a qualifying animal with that weapon of choice, it's eligible for the records program. Um, to answer your question about an increase in crossbow trophies, my instincts tell me yes. Uh, I'm not sitting in the records department, you know, harvesting this data as it comes in. But I would say just out of just numbers uh, there's more people hunting with crossbows now that means there's more people in the field uh, the numbers are you know going to go up um, and they're probably uh, because Pope and Young has chosen not to include those you know we're seeing those entries now there's a difference between uh, the minimum entry scores for Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett ours are much higher um, so, you know, if you shoot a Boone and Crockett animal with a bow, that's... Yeah, that's doing something. <laughs> that's really yeah, doing so, something. You know, we'll, you know, we'll see those entries, and Pope and Young gets them as well. I don't want to speak for Pope and Young, but my understanding of the history there, you know, there was a time when bow hunting was not considered a legitimate hunting tool oh absolutely and they were they were instrumental in securing you know archery seasons across yeah, the nation their, their founders uh, of which Glenn St. Charles was one of them he was also a Boone and Crockett member uh, he came to the club and said we'd like to permission to use the scoring system because we want to create an organization an entity that is advancing bow hunting as a legitimate hunting method. And so they started Pope and Young for that purpose and, and pushed hard to get archery seasons on the books with states and prove that, you know, this was lethal. Uh, you know, this wasn't some, you know, carnival trick. Uh, that bow hunting, you know, was legitimate. And so that was the real driving force behind Pope and Young, and they've been able to do a phenomenal job. Like you, we mentioned, take for granted here a lot. You know, I don't know what the future would have been like without Pope and Young relative to the archery seasons that we have. Um, you know, if you read some of the, the history there, I mean, bow hunters in the early days were, you know, the, the outcasts. I mean, why would you go back to... Uh, primitive tool like that where you can hunt with a rifle. Right. And we don't we don't want you knuckleheads running around sticking arrows and everything. Well as as it proved out, you know, bows are lethal. 
Oh, extremely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that's something even now, again, coming back to the whole idea of, you know, representing ourselves in a positive light to, you know, to the, the larger world is to explain, you know, routinely just how quickly, you know, an animal will die when you make a good shot with the bow. It's it's really amazing, actually, you know, just how quickly they, well, and, they and then, die. You know, when you start, you start talking about, you know, hunting ethics, fair chase, and bow hunting um, you know we've seen across the board some of the most ethical hunters are bow hunters because they've chosen that handicap you know they've chosen a short range weapon they've had to develop you know stalking skills and calling skills and uh, you know there's a lot of discipline that goes into that there's a lot of you know equipment tuning and practice and preparation well we've already talked about how that rolls into a hunting ethic uh, and then you know shot placement I mean who who is more in tune with animals anatomy and you know vital areas and shot angles and what's a good shot, what's a bad shot, what's, what's an ethical shot than a bow hunter. Yeah, you've got to be, uh, right? Because a couple inches is is everything in some instances. It is, is everything. Know? And so just speaking in general terms, some of the most dyed-in-the-wool fair chase practitioners are bow hunters. Well, I won't they argue with that. you there. <laughs> but there, there is there. Is, they still too have ethical challenges. Um, you know, I just saw an article here, and we probably have all seen it. You know, guys taking 100, 150 yard shots a game of bows. Uh, that long range shooting thing that we talked about with with rifles uh, is very front and center in bow hunting. You know, the the equipment's there, the sights, the rest. You know, the range finders. You know, all that stuff is in place. But Absolutely. It comes down, you know, the individual and, you know, what is their maximum, maximum effective range? What do they feel comfortable with? What do they have experience with? And, and I don't know a bow hunter alive that'll tell you that there's no difference between stacking arrows into a foam target at 70 yards and then drawing down on a, on a live animal at 40. Right. Huge difference. Huge difference. So, you know tip of the cap to the bow hunters out there because they are the poster children for fair chase not the rifle hunters and and and, and you know firearm hunters are not uh, but we just we see you know you can see it on the forums and the conversations uh, there there are people rallying behind the fair chase flag and a lot of them are bow hunters well on that, I know that your time is uh, is short and, and you've got some other things to do this afternoon. Let's wrap it up with this. How can I, you mentioned the, the website, huntfairchase.com. How can my listeners uh, support the Hunt Fair Chase initiative? Is there anything concrete and tangible that you'd like folks to do, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, participate in these forums that you have on the website or, or join Boone and Crockett or, uh, you know, this is your chance sure. to, to plug whatever you want to here. This is this is the plug. This the is plug your plug. This is a shameless self promotion segment. <laughs> well, um, the best thing 
I would say for folks to do is to go to the website. There's a bunch of advertising out there. They're seeing it on print. They should be seeing it in social media that drive folks to the website. Go there, snoop around, look at these different you know nuances to hunting ethics. There's a section there on the origins of fair chase and where it came from, and Teddy Roosevelt and the teddy bear and you know, all that stuff. There's a lot of good historical stuff. And then there's, you know, relevant conversations taking place to some of the things we talked about here and others. Um, you can sign up for a free decal. We've got a really cool, you know, decal for your bow case or your truck window. It is really cool. Where do I sign up for that? That's on that's on the website. You won't get very far with a little pop-up that says sign up for a free decal. Oh, man. And we'll send you. Sweet. And so that that's kind of a, you know ride for the brand type of a thing fly the flag uh, pretty soon we'll have some hats and some shirts uh, you know hoodies that type of thing that people can purchase this isn't a join uh, thing yet uh, but we may have a, an opportunity where people can participate at a, at a higher level certainly engage in some of the forums let people know what you're thinking you know what what you agree with what you don't agree with like I said, we're, our intent is to have the conversation, not be afraid to have the conversation about our ethics. And, and you know, there's information on there to how to talk to hunters about, or non-hunters about hunting, how to express yourself in, in, a, in, a, in a way that we're, we're all kind of sending the same message. Um, so that's, it starts with going to the website, and it's simple, unfairchase.com. And, you know, the, the website and this campaign, this is going to be a two-year effort. You're going to see more of this next year. Uh, it's very fluid. fluid. It's evolving. Uh, so there will be a lot of things to go back and, you know, revisit. Uh, we're working on some pretty cool videos to share. Um, you know, people can share them via social media. Uh, we're working on some videos that you might want to share to a non-hunter that will speak for you as to you know why you hunt and what's important to you and how this links to conservation and, and how you actually do advocate for the wildlife, not just the activity of hunting, but you know, hunters do care. Oh, that's great. About the game, yeah, and how this, you know, hunting benefits non-game and, and how habitat rolls into this and, you know, the, the whole conversation. So well, that, good. that's my shameless plug. Well, that's a good plug, Keith. Uh, Keith Balford from the Boone and Crockett Club. I appreciate your time so much. It's hey, an, bet. I appreciate the opportunity. It's an important conversation. It's one that's certainly worth having, and I'm glad to to see and hear that you guys aren't afraid to you know talk about some of that gray area stuff some of those little bit stickier situations that might make us a little uncomfortable because like you said those are conversations that you know that need to be had and we can't be afraid to do that so um wish you guys the best with that i I certainly enjoyed learning more about it appreciate everything that the club has done you know throughout its history to uh, advocate on behalf of wildlife and sportsmen and wish you guys the best of success moving forward with this i appreciate that all right keith well best of luck to you and the rest of your adventures this fall i'm sure you've got a few more hunts lined up and i hope you fill some tags 
Well, send me a picture of that Kentucky deer. I got to see that. I'm going to do that, and you're going to send me a picture of your uh, doll sheep. So we're swapping photos. It's, it's like the virtual campfire. Well, that's another part of the hunting tradition. For sure. All right. God bless, man. Take care. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com. 